0: Thanks for joining us today for the Ramp Church podcast. We pray that you will be uplifted, empowered, and revived by this week's message. If you'd like to know more about Ramp Church Manchester, or would like to partner with us in giving, visit us over on our website ramp.church/mcr, or find us on social media. Now let's get into this week's message. Well, I don't just get to receive the offering, I get to preach today, get to teach a bit. And so, yeah, if you have a Bible with you, you can go ahead and grab that. Um, If you do a digital Bible, you can use your phone, or it's going to be on the screen, so you can read the screen above me. But we're in such a crazy season in life right now uh the, we're we're obviously coming out of of lockdown but life was crazy before lockdown wasn't it and now it's just it's just even crazier and i kind of want to speak in to that moment a bit um we're in a time recent, there was a study done in 2018 about anxiety and the surge the rise of anxiety in in britain um and i think it's really anywhere in the western world but over from about 2008 to 2018, it, you know, the rise in anxiety in our society just skyrocketed, and we live in an anxious time. We live in an anxious period. I, I actually believe that one of the promises of God over the church in this season that we're meant to walk in is Jesus' invitation in Matthew 11:28, which says, "Come to me, all of you who are who are burdened, you're weary." You're, you're weighed down. You're heavy laden. And he says, I'll give you rest. And he says, I'll, I'll teach you. And the implication is, I'll teach you a new way to do life. And and he says this, for I'm gentle and lowly at heart. He, he's, he's just even identifying his disposition towards you. But he's also identifying the path that he has for you. And that's to step out of this anxiety into a place where, We're we're understanding our life from God's perspective. And one of the things that makes anxiety so difficult, and one of the, I believe, the biggest pursuits that we're on in anxious periods, anxious times, is we're looking for some sort of a narrative, some sort of a story to ground the chaos in. We're looking, how do, we, how do I connect the dots, the details? How can I create a storyline here just so I can find purpose in the middle of this chaos? Can anybody relate to that? You're trying to, you know, you're, you're trying to think through your past. You're trying to look at your past failures maybe. You're trying to look where am I going in life. Maybe it's my job. Maybe it's my family. Maybe it's relationships. What is it? But I'm trying to somehow pull a storyline. And then if you add faith into that mix, it doesn't always make things easier. Because sometimes we blame God for a lot of stuff. Or we're wondering, is this you, God? Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. But it at least introduces that new question. If God's not in the picture, sometimes that's a bit easier. Because we're going, well, this is either a bunch of atoms that bumped into each other over millions of years, and here I am. My life's chaos, and I better accept it. Or there's some karma, this sort of thing. You know, there's like the universe has some sort of scales that's weighing all my good deeds and bad deeds and like whatever i have i deserve it but when you bring jesus into the equation you bring someone that i just mentioned a little while ago and that is an author you have someone that is not this this distant clockmaker of deism who wants us to live right and is just looking from a distance and hoping we get the right answers no we have not that's not that's not the the God we see in Jesus. Jesus showed us a God who's intimately involved. And when Hebrews actually describes the way he feels towards us, it says that he was actually, he's been touched internally with the feelings of the things that weigh us down. That he doesn't look at us from a perspective of of derision, he doesn't look at us from a perspective of shame He doesn't look at us from a perspective of Man, I wish they would just get it, get it all together Just get your stuff together And then I'll get involved But until you get your stuff together Good luck I'll stand, I'll stand out here and I'll wait for you to get your life together And when it's together, you can call me and I'll be, I'll be there Until then, it's up to you That's not the Jesus we see in the Bible, and that's not the God that's revealed through Jesus. Hebrews says he's touched, he feels deeply the feelings of our brokenness, of the things that weigh us down. And he doesn't just feel them, we see a God on the cross who isn't satisfied to feel from a distance, but he wants to get involved. If the cross is anything, it is an indication, it's a demonstration of I'm not satisfied. God's saying this. I'm not satisfied with your pain being an academic experience for me. I want to get involved in your pain. I want to get involved in your temptation. I want to get involved in the struggle. And I want to take it all the way to the end. C.S. Lewis, when he describes Jesus' journey with temptation, and he kind of unpacks that verse, Hebrews, and Jesus being tempted in all points as we were, he describes that the dynamic and the intensity of Jesus' temptation, that even the temptations he fought were greater than anything we can possibly imagine. They're greater than even our temptations. And C.S. Lewis describes it like this. He uses the metaphor of wind. He's like, when you're walking against a stiff wind. Stacy and I lived in Scotland for a bit before we moved to Manchester. People ask us all the time. It's like the first topic of discussion generally. Um, This isn't a Mancunian accent, just in case you're wondering. Um, Don't don't hold that against me, though. Um, But we... Wind is like a daily part of life in Scotland. But people ask me when I moved to Manchester, how's, you know, how's the weather? I'm like, this is paradise. We just moved from Scotland, this is paradise. So the, the wind is just, it's unbelievable some days. And it's like constant. And so C.S. Lewis says, it's like walking into the wind and eventually you get exhausted, so you lay down. That's when you give in to temptation. But Jesus never gave in to temptation, So he knows what it's like to keep walking into the wind. When you gave up, he kept going. The intensity of the temptation built inside of him, and he never gave in. So when you or I give in to the the intensity of the temptation because we can't handle it anymore, he knows what it's like to be tempted beyond that level. That's how he's touched with the feelings of our infirmity and our brokenness, our inclinations to choose what's, what's not best for us. Jesus is touched. He feels it. He's intimately involved today. And on that search to find a story for understanding our anxiety and the chaos, my heart today is to help guide you towards the right story, towards a better story, towards the story that Jesus has written. I want to talk about three really important things as you're looking at your own story to understand and to see how's God leading me. There's, there's so many that we can't get into today, but I, I want to talk about three, and this is, this is why. Actually, in times of anxiety and stress and brokenness, sometimes we're so desperate to make sense of it all that we believe a story that's actually not true. And sometimes we know it, but I'm so desperate to make sense of it, I'll believe anything. Just like, please, somebody make sense of this. Please, somebody identify where I'm going in this um, we, we uh, I want to t- t- tell a church story because that's about my life um, but I hope hopefully you can, you can kind of see yourself in, in some of this journey we're obviously a portable church um, we don't own this building and it was uh, it was weeks and weeks and weeks of journeying to find this space uh, and this was kind of the open door but it wasn't the easiest journey. And there's been a lot of struggles, and without going into any details, but here we are. Hey, we're here, guys, together. And our first weekend, um, Pete, uh, who Pete and his wife Camilla, they they head up communities here at Ramp Church. They're, they're amazing. So we were driving from our storage unit where we store a lot of this supplies with uh, in a truck. We had everything loaded in the back, and he was asking me. He's going, "So tell me about the, you know, this building journey. Has been serious, hasn't it? I'm like yes, and I I can't figure it out. I don't understand why it's been so hard. And I said, there's one, there's like multiple layers here. Like the the top layer is it's a lot of work. Um, there there's been so much communication that to me should just be like summed up in like a phone call, done, sorted. But it's like back and forth for weeks about details and yada, yada, yada. It's that sort of thing. It's a lot of work. But then I, then I told him this, but I don't mind work. Like, I love to work. Our whole team loves to work. You know, there's, it's not about work. I said, what's really getting on me is the, is the layer beneath that, where all of those circumstances are making me question, God, where are you in this? Can anybody relate to that? And maybe it's not a building. Maybe for you it's, it's your financial condition or the job hunt. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's your own kind of struggles, your personal struggles. Maybe it's purpose. But it's like there's questions beneath the questions. There's like challenges beneath the challenges. And I was trying to figure out, God, where are you in this? And then you start to question some pretty, like, things that you thought were settled. Like, God did you really want us to be here in this season? Have I gotten ahead of you? Because it seems like you would be here, like you'd open up a door. This would be easier if, if you were involved. Can I get a witness? Anybody experienced that before? And this is, what I've, this is what I've discovered with my story. Um, it's this principle, and I think all of us, I mean, I was dealing with this. Maybe Maybe you've dealt with this before. I feel like we oversimplify our story. In times of chaos... We're so hungry to make sense that we say things like this. Obviously, God's not with us. I mean, he's not in this. He's not in this at all. If he was in this, this would be different. This would be different. This would be different. This would be different. We, we, We oversimplify things. Why? We don't like nuance. I don't like gray land. I want black or white. Just tell me, is it right or wrong? This way or that way? Left or right? Are you with me? But your story isn't quite that clear. Don't reduce it down to simply yes or no, right or wrong. And that's, that's really where we're going to get with this message. We're going to talk about how to live in that in-between Space where God's doing sometimes seemingly contradicting things at the same time, and He's brilliant enough to do that. Well, because He's God. This is this is to me the issue um, with oversimplifying our story. Is this this next thought, and that is um, we create either-or narratives. God's either involved or He's not. I've either blown it or I'm perfect. Uh, I know about you, but I know where I fall on that. <laughs> like those those are the only two options. It's like, I'm perfect. Kidding, kidding, kidding. <laughs> um, either, either or, either. Just have a quick conversation with Stacy after this, and she'll she'll clear it up in about four and a half seconds. Either or narratives. This is important. When you when you create these either or narratives to try to oversimplify your story, they can blind us to God. When you create when you're trying to fit God into this or this. And he transcends this and this. You're not going to see him in either one. Because he's not there. He's somewhere else. Either or narratives can blind us to God who is with us in the pain. And the confusion and the uncertainty. There's a different story and I'm going to call that a both and story. Both and narratives can reveal God. The God who never leaves us and never forsakes us. Who actually leans in when we need him most. And I'm going to unpack this through a couple biblical stories. Um, and here's, here's the chapters. I'm, uh, you can write down in your notes and you can, you can kind of read these on your own later. Exodus 17, Numbers 20, Psalms 81. Exodus 17, Numbers 20, and Psalm... 81. And these are stories um, about Moses, the children of Israel, and them getting really thirsty for water. And Moses kind of beats a rock, and water comes out. Some miraculous stuff, but there's also some disobedient stuff along the way. Much like our life, it's full of beauty and full of challenge. And so I want to read uh, just about seven verses with you, and then I'm going to unpack it a bit. Is that Okay. So let's start in Exodus, Exodus, or Exodus, however you want to say it. Exodus 17, 1 through 7. uh, All the congregation of the people of Israel moved from the wilderness of sin. That's literally the name. That doesn't mean like acts of bad stuff. By stages, according to the commandment of the Lord. And they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Stop right there. There's no water. God's called Israel out of a place where they had homes, And water, and food, and friends, and really cruddy jobs. But they had water, and food, and friends. And now he's moved them to the wilderness. And when they get there, they don't even have water. Like the most basic element of life. Like God, we followed you here. And the the essential thing I need to survive is not even here. That's In many ways, I, this is super dramatic, but welcome to my world. In many ways, that's how we felt about the building. It's like, God, you said you wanted a church. We need to gather as a church. We don't have a building. And this is really, isn't that like essential? like to I mean, we could go on the street, but it rains a lot here. In case you haven't checked the weather recently. So, a most fundamental thing. It's like, God, wouldn't you just provide the thing that I need? Wouldn't you just let me, like, I show up, I'm, I'm obedient, I show up to life, I show up to family, I show up, and isn't it just going to be there? Not always, this story tells us, but what, what, what do we do that, uh, about that? Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses, they got angry at Moses, their leader, and said, give us water, bro, we're, we're thirsty. Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses, their leader, and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So, my, so Moses cried to the Lord, his boss. He went to his boss and goes, hey, you sent us out here. Now there's no water. They're angry at me. Uh, what shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile. I'd love to unpack that a bit, but we can't for time's sake. And go. Behold, I'll stand before you there on the rock. God's given him some specific instructions for how he's going to solve their problem. You always should go to God when you have a problem. Um, and you should, uh, go, 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 go back a couple slides. Went, went too too far. Can we go back? That's okay, I'll read it for you. Oh, no, here we go. So, so Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I'll stand before you on there, on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. I'm going somewhere here. Guys, I know this is like a weird story. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of, elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Masah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord. Say tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? So they go out into obedience, following God to a place, a new place. Doesn't look like God's there. They can't see him there. And, and the description of that story says that, um, that they tested God by asking, where are you in this? Where are you in this story, Jesus? Where are you in this whole thing? And so what are they trying to do? They're trying to make sense of, of where they are. It's amazing. If, if you go to Psalms 81, we can see God's perspective on the same story. Psalms 81 says this. In your distress, you called, and I rescued you. I answered you out of a thundercloud. And he doesn't say they tested him. He says, I tested you. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. And here's the the first thing I just, first principle I want to let you know. There's always more going on than you can fathom. When God's involved... He's orchestrating millions of stories Billions of stories All at the same time He has your well-being And your character in mind He has your present And your future in mind He has never forgotten A prayer you've prayed He has every prayer in mind He's never forgotten Anything you've lost He has pure justice in mind Because in the end He's going to make all things new anyway He has healing in mind. He he understands the intricacies of your soul and the fabric of your very being. And he has all of these things in mind every every time he leads you anywhere. There's more going on than you realize. And and at the the base of it, Israel was trying to understand God by interpreting circumstances. And I'm going, this is all this is set up, but I'm going somewhere with this. Look at this principle. This is what I want to teach you here. We sometimes assume God's design for our life based on interpreting circumstances rather than knowing and following Jesus. We try to understand what's happening purely by interpreting circumstance instead of going to the source of life itself. The invitation to step into Jesus' story starts with knowing him, not with figuring out my life. Figuring out my life always comes second, knowing Jesus always comes first. Because you can't know the story until you know the author. And maybe you're exploring faith. That's okay. It doesn't mean there aren't things that you can understand and principles. And I'm so glad you're here. This is such a great place to be. I'm, there. I'm not forcing you to come to faith. What I'm saying is, if you want to understand the story that Jesus is writing, you've got to get to know Jesus. You've got to get to know the author of your story. And only then can we start to unfold bits of what's going on. See, an either-or narrative on Israel's story would say something like this. Maybe you thought these thoughts about your own. God isn't with us because we don't have water. Not, not this slide yet. You can go back to the previous slide. God isn't with us because we don't have water. They look, they look at the, the, the circumstances and they just assume God's not with us. We don't have water. It's obvious. Or God is with us, but it's obviously his will for me to die. You may laugh at that, but we do that with circumstances in our life. We look at circumstances that God's already revealed a different idea of what my life is supposed to be, either in his word or specifically to me, and we assume, whatever I have, that must be God's will. Whatever my circumstance, that's what God wanted me to do. Broken relationship, that's God's will. I mean, it's obvious, you know, he's in control, right? Right? We, we're, we're not following Jesus. We're not asking Jesus what is his perspective. We're assuming based on the circumstance, whatever I hold, that must be God's will. Or we go, God isn't around, and the circumstance is proof. He's absent. That's an either-or perspective. But a both-and perspective looks at it like this. This is what Israel would have looked at. They would have said, God is with us, and he'll give us everything we need. God is with us, and I don't have water, comma, yet. Some of you need to add some yets into your story. It's amazing how a yet can turn around a day. It can turn around a prayer life. It can turn around a relationship when I just add yet. oh You know what? I don't don't have enough money for these bills yet. I don't, have, I don't have enough intellect to figure out even what to say to this person where they're this, this offense, and I can't even figure out how do I even have the right meeting with them, and I don't even know what to say yet. And I can't figure out what, which direction to take in my career yet. I'm telling you, when God's involved, there is always a yet. There's always a yet. Why? Because because the Bible says about his character, nothing has ever left his mouth. No promise has ever left his mouth and returned back to him without performing what it was sent to do. Are you hearing me? So what does it mean to be? A, so what does it mean to be a people who are not blind, living in this place where we're trying to fit God into our conclusions for the way He's been to work through my life? But we're a people with open eyes able to hold both ends in this season. And I want to talk to you about three essential both ends in this season. Anybody want to hear that? Anybody want to hear that? All right. Um, if not, I'm preaching to myself, which I need this. This is the first one. Hearing from God is both clear and hazy. Sorry, if you were coming today and you wanted all of the the answers to all of life's problems, you've come to the wrong place. But I think I'm introducing you to a better solution, and that is you can walk with the origin of every solution, Jesus Christ himself. But when we're following him, hearing from him is both clear and hazy. And this is how I like to think about that unpack that. It's this next slide. Sometimes your next step is clear, but the logic behind it is hazy. You may know when you're, when you're hearing God's voice, he may identify, here's the next place for you to go. This is the next step for you to take. This is the, uh, Some of you this is coming here this morning, that was that step. Maybe a friend of you has been working on you. Maybe your mom paid you to come. I mean, whatever. I've heard a lot of strange reasons people come to church. Whatever the reason is, maybe that was the next step. But maybe there's another next step for you that you already know what it is. But sometimes the things God tells us doesn't make sense to us. In the same way, a parent telling a young child an instruction and their favorite question being why, that why question can't always be answered. Because the categories that I'm using to rationalize the the thing I'm, I'm telling you about child, you can't even understand. You don't even you don't have the mental furniture to be able to rearrange the room in that that manner. Does that make sense? So, why? The best why you need to know is because I said. My absolute least favorite thing for my mom to say when I was a child. But this is what I know about God, and this is the power of prayer. When you step into a place of prayer, you you start to align yourself with God's will. And it changes you starting from the inside out. And we think, oh, God didn't give me what we wanted. He gave you what you would want if you saw the situation from his perspective. In other words, he gives you what you need based on the things that he can see that you'll never be able to see. He has mental categories you and I can't understand. That's why the Bible says his understanding is without limits. The next step may be clear, but the logic behind it is... Not. It's hazy. If you're waiting to understand the next step before you take it, you're gonna be waiting a long time. Because there's things that God wants to do through your life and in you, you couldn't possibly fathom the way to get there. There's something He wants to do that if He told you, you would you would you'd say no, no thanks. I, I'd rather not be involved in that. And sometimes it's not because it's, it's, it's hard. Sometimes it's because it hits you in your, in your area of insecurity, your area of pain. And he's trying to pull you into a place where you're strong in that area. There's health there, and he wants to use you through that. And if he identified that future journey now, you would back out. You'd abort the process. You'd step out because he's trying to bring health to something that, that is currently unhealthy. And for him to identify that, it hits a wound. It doesn't hit expectation. It's like, yeah, God, do that. I know you, yeah, you've been hurt in those sort of relationships, and he wants to make you strong. He's not going to identify that right now because you'd be like, I'm out of here. If that's what it means to follow you. So what he's going to do is he's going to identify the next step, but the logic behind it may be hazy. Je- Jesus told us this was going to happen in his long discourse in John chapter 10, which was about hearing God's voice, hearing him, following him. And it's this, John chapter number 10. Verses 14 and 15. This is what he says about himself. I'm the good shepherd. I love that. If if you just want to meditate on something all week long, if you want to read 50 chapters, go for it. Uh, Or just choose that sentence. If you don't know who Jesus is to you, and he's describing himself here. He's saying he shepherds you. Think Think about the posture of a shepherd towards his sheep. Think about the care. Think about the motivation. Think about the desire for them. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep. You're known by the shepherd. And my sheep know me. And I lay down my life for the sheep. This is a journey with Jesus. And this is what you need to know about this journey. It's this next, this next principle. God's not anti-logic. So I'm not trying to say faith is anti-logic. That's, that's not what I'm trying to say it isn't. Uh, after all, uh, God created our ability to reason. You with me? God is pro-trust. He's not anti-logic, he's pro-trust. And Hebrews says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So God, God's, not a, God's not against your logic. He's not against your reason. But he will certainly position you in a place where your life will please him. And what does that look like? A place of trust. A place of faith. The first thing we need to understand is following God, hearing from God Getting direction from God is both clear and hazy. In this season, this season of chaos, this season of anxiety, I want us Ramp Church to be a people, to be a community that can hold both of those realities at the same time and be okay with that inside. Clear? I see some things clear, I see some things hazy. But I'm not going to let the haziness pull my faith down. I'm not going to be one day, I'm uh, consumed with hazy, and so I'm depressed, and the next day I'm consumed with clear, and so I'm on top of things. Maturity is the ability to hold both realities at the same time, celebrate what's clear, trust for what's hazy. Are you hearing me? Celebrate what's clear, trust for what's hazy. And to be in that place where we can hold both those both and realities. That's the first essential both and in this season that I want us to learn. The second both and in this season is this, especially in this season of communities. Community relationships is both safe and risky. Relationships, real ones, they're both safe and risky. Relationships are probably, actually, I can say most definitely the hardest thing in my life. And I would probably say doing them well is probably the hardest thing in anybody's life. Actually, there's probably one thing harder and that is not having any relationships. Isolation's probably harder. Than relationships but there's a lie that, that all the time we tell ourselves in church we, we, we it's it's almost like a mantra like that we repeated over and over and over church should be safe community should be safe relationships should be safe and I love that principle and I'm gonna unpack it here in a bit on what that means but for me that's only half the story because I've never been in a relationship that's hundred percent safe like the, the people that know me the best hurt me the deepest and i hurt them the deepest that's not safety is it that's risky but biblical community has something that should make this risk bearable and here's some reason safety is not high it's not the hiding of weakness but it's the presence of acceptance so we think that safe community means There are no weaknesses. Everybody's great. I'm perfect. Before I enter into a relationship, all's well. If you think Ram Church is the place where perfect people gather in Manchester on Sunday morning, welcome, here we are. We're all in one place. (laughs) Kidding. We're not perfect. We're not. We're, but we're also not hiding weakness. But here's here's what I want our posture to be we're accepting. There's a posture of acceptance. Safety is not the absence of pain. But the promise of forgiveness. Are you hearing me? Safety is not a commitment to positivity. But the embracing of truth. Safety is not the absence of conflict. But the pursuit of unity. Safety is not similarity of interests. See some of us choose. We choose churches based on. Uh, everybody there dresses like me And they talk like me And they like the same music as me And I love the style of the preacher And the music It's the same style of music that I listen to on the radio And I, I, No, no that, I, Pain still lives in that community I'm sorry That's not like that's safer Because like I'm into skating And everybody there is into skating I mean whatever I don't know what your interests are But Does that make sense? We, we get that in our mind Like that's more safe Not necessarily because safety is not similarity of interests it's alignment of values something deeper that's why paul would say no no man no no person after the flesh it's a call to be unified in the spirit safety is not ethnic uniformity but cultural humility safety is not reaching perfection but it's the chance for healing Can I just shout just a better vision of community than a safe, sterile, clinical community? The only way to completely avoid risk is to invite control. But once we've invited control, we've also introduced a different type of pain. The pain of oppression. So to have a community of freedom and not control means risk. When that risk is experienced, though, in the presence of love, commitment, grace, acceptance, and humility, you've tipped the balance of risk. Listen closely. In other words, the risk has become less risky than isolation. Are you hearing me? Let me read that again. When that risk is experienced, when the risk of, of opening our lives, ourselves up to, to being hurt by others and hurting other people, to being offended and to be misunderstood, to, for bitterness to form and misunderstandings and disagreements, when that risk is experienced in the presence of love, commitment, grace, acceptance, and humility, you've tipped the balance of risk. In other words, this risk has become less risky than isolation. We isolate to avoid further pain, but when we isolate, we also insulate from healing, forgiveness, and acceptance and we find another fresh pain, the pain of isolation. Some of us have experienced that in this room. We're we're trying to run from vulnerability. We're trying to run from being hurt to others, and instead of finding healing, we find isolation. And there's a fresh kind of oppression in isolation. Community is both safe and safe. And risky, but it is a safe risk. Because the reason Stacy and I's relationship is a safe place for risk is because I've committed to her. I've committed to her. Like I'm not going anywhere. You, it's it's me and you, kid. We're doing this thing. And the reason I the reason that's a safe place. Is, is because we're there together, safe, and it's risky. Now, there's one caveat for this. I'm not advocating for abuse. So there, there, there are situations in life where there's, there's abusive, there is abusive dynamics happening. And that, that's not what I'm talking about here, okay? It's a different discussion, but I, I do want to mention that. But let, this, this is this principle that I've been unpacking. It's right here. It's next slide. Living in relationship in an imperfect community is far safer than living in isolation as an imperfect individual. Are you hearing me? Living in relationship in an imperfect community is far safer than living in isolation as an imperfect individual. Now, if you ever find a perfect community, please get my number and call me. I will be there. Of course, when I arrive, it then becomes an imperfect community. (laughs) So you may not want to let me in, but I at least want to see it from the outside, if there's like a viewing room or something like that. Living in a relationship in an imperfect community is far safer than living in isolation as an imperfect individual. And and this is Jesus unpacked these thoughts for us. This I didn't come up with this. The, the, look at this in Mark. Mark chapter 12. The second is uh, equally important. Jesus is talking about the greatest commandments. And the first one was love God with all your, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he says this the second is equally important. Equally important. Love your neighbor. Love. Love everybody. Look at this next one, Matthew 18. Oh, we went too far. Matthew 18. Then Peter came up and said to him, Peter came up to Jesus. Uh, Jesus is unpacking what we're supposed to do, how are we supposed to live together. And then Jesus and this is what he's saying. this is Matthew 18. He's talking, how do you confront people you have disagreements with? It's a great chapter. And then Peter comes up to Jesus and says, "Lord, how often will my brother or sister sin against me and forgive him?" How, how many times? Do they offend me and I'm supposed to forgive them? I, I, it's like Peter's anticipating, okay, you've just said if someone doesn't change in our relationship and I confront them and then I bring someone else to confront them and then I don't have to be with them anymore. So how many times can they sin against me and then I don't have to be with them anymore? I think that's what Peter's like, I don't have to forgive them anymore. And, and Jesus is like, oh, jeez, oh, Okay. As many as seven times? Peter's like, I'm, I'm going to be generous. I'm going to be generous. Seven times? Huh? Eh? Jesus said to him, I don't say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Jesus is using a figure of speech. He's basically saying, forever. You never stop forgiving. Ever. That is the basis of Jesus-centered community. It is never-ending forgiveness. Never-ending forgiveness. Now, forgiveness is not the same as trust. That's a different message. But it is never-ending forgiveness. Let's go on to the next principle. The next both-and principle that's essential for me to, to tell you in this season. Your future is both up to God and up to you. Your future is both up to God and up to Now, those of us in the room that are like super spiritual, we just got ticked off at that. We're like, "Uh-uh. My life is in his hands." <laughs> now, pastor, I can agree with those first two points, but this you have gone too far. <laughs> he is just so carnally minded today. And then some of us that are that are business-minded like, "I've been waiting for somebody to say I have a part in this." Right? But maybe this part to you is just a really small. It's like, yeah, God gives me some inspiration, but the rest is up to me. No, your future is both up to God and up to you, but it's not just your future, it's, it's other things as well. It's, it's, it's this next step, it's also your freedom. Some of you are pursuing freedom in your life. Your freedom's up to God, and it's up to you. Both of those things. It's not just your freedom, though, it's also it's your future, it's your freedom, it's your growth. You're looking at your life and you're going, gosh. There's not, it's static. There's not much difference between now, 10 years ago, and I'm guessing probably 10 years from now, it's about the same. It's, well, it's up to you and it's up to God. Both of those things. Our logic sometimes goes like this, pertaining to our growth, our future. If it's God's, if, if it's God, it'll be easy. Have you ever said that before? Like about a situation. Whew, I don't know what to do here, but if it's God, it'll be easy. Wow. I don't know how long that idea lasted. But that one got burnt out of me and about the first time I tried to use it. If you're still holding on, can I just encourage you, give up on this idea. We don't see that expressed in the, in the, the, the stories of people who have given their lives for Jesus. We don't see that expressed. If it's God, it's going to be easy. Uh, because why? This is both and reality. My future's up to me and it's up to God. It's both of these things. Well, we also have this idea. Unless I step in, God won't act. You heard that. You heard that um, thing. Uh, that, that saying that people say. Well, there's a Bible verse all the time. I have people tell me this through the years. God helps them who help themselves. Have you heard that? Like people say it's in the Bible. I'm sorry uh, to let you know that's not in the Bible. Like that's just one. That's one of those we made up and we say it's in the Bible. That, it's not. It's not anywhere. That's yes, God does help people who help themselves, but He helps a whole lot of other people too. He helps people who can't help themselves. Are you with me? Uh, so we, we have this idea that unless I step in, God won't act, um, that it's, it's kind of up to me, right? But that is not the, that's not the both and reality God wants us to live in. I want you to think about scriptures in the New Testament, stories in the New Testament. Think of Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus. He, he had a need, he was blind. He's crying out to Jesus. Jesus had the answer to his need. And there was resistance in between his need and the answering his need. And Jesus was continuing on his journey with his disciples. Disciples are around. Jesus has been teaching, probably doing some miracles in other places. Bartimaeus is on the side of the road. And Jesus is walking by. Bartimaeus' eyes are walking by. And Jesus had, uh, excuse me, Bartimaeus had an opportunity. That was up to him. Now, he couldn't have made eyes. Jesus, was that, that was God's part. But what he had to do was he had to push through the misunderstanding, he had to push through the crowd, he had to push through the people telling him to stop. One of the things I love about Spaces like this, gathered spaces, is this is a space where you can do that. You can push into God. What Stacy did kind of at the end of worship, it's, it was kind of weird and loud and long. I know for, for maybe some of you in the room. But what she's trying to instigate this pursuit. She's going, you need to dance like the promise has already been given to you. What is she trying to do? She's trying to put that Bartimaeus spirit in you. That Jesus is walking by with the answers. How are you going to respond? Your future, your growth, your freedom is up to you, and it's up to God. I think about the, the woman with the issue of blood. She'd invested her life in defying healing and wholeness. And when Jesus came, she pushed through the crowd. But there's also practical things we can do. Sometimes when God gives us a word, we shouldn't just pray about it. We need to line our life up to be ready for that word to come to pass. Are you hearing me? I need to create a structure around my life that's ready to contain the thing God's promised. So what does that look like for me? And I'm trying to structure ramp, the ramp for the things God's promised in the future, not just for the things we're doing now. Are you with me? So there are, there are literal structures that we build that are trying to hold where I know God's calling me to be. And some of them I'm not educated enough to do, so I take courses. Are you with me? What am I doing? I, I don't need that information now, but I know where he's called me to go. I'm going to need that. So let me prepare myself for where he's taken. Why? Because my future is up to God and it's up to me. It's a mystery how those two things interact, but both dynamics are there. and That's what we need to, that's what we need to understand. Band, you can go ahead and come on. Paul talks about this dynamic in 1 Corinthians 15. It's a great, such a great verse. This is what he says about himself, Uh, not lacking in confidence. Some may say arrogance. I worked harder than any of them. Paul's talking about the other apostles. He said, I worked harder than Peter and James and John, all those other dudes that hung out with Jesus. I worked harder than all of them. And then he says this though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. That's what it means. To have, to, to have things up to God and up to me. It's both of those dynamics at the same time. I'm working hard, but it's not really me working. It's the grace of God. But it is me working because I just said I'm working. But the grace of God is there uh, giving me the strength to work. Are you with me? It's this, it's this co-laboring in the presence of God. To be a people that seizes this moment, we need to be people who understand the story at least the dynamics of the story that God is writing. What is God doing in this season? We need, we need to have eyes to see. We need to remove the categories. Where we're trying to fit him in to, the, to, 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 to our understanding. and We need to step back and see things from his perspective. And the, the final question that I want to unpack here. And this is what I want us to pray into in the next couple minutes. Is what do we do? How do we do that? And I think Moses, his example of what he did... Is, a, is our example. And in between Israel and Moses getting water out of a rock and then them coming to the promised land, there's a story in Exodus chapter 33. We talk about it a lot here at Ramp Church. And it's where Moses asks God if he can see him. I want to see your glory. We talk about that. We unpack that all the time. Moses has asked God. But you know what we never talk about? I I never do. Is that the fact that Moses asked God that in the middle of the wilderness? Like I don't know about you, but if I'm in the wilderness, like I'll wait till I get to the promised land to see you. Like, like I just want to get through this. Like that's my prayer. I don't want to see. I want to get through this. That is my prayer, God. Get me to the other side. Sort my mess, then I'll get my spiritual life in order. Get me to the other side, then I'll put you first. That churchy stuff's okay. The Jesus stuff, yeah, whatever. When you get me through this wilderness, then I'm going to spend some time with you. God, first things first. Let's get through this wilderness, then we can get all that spiritual stuff. Right now, my kids are thirsty, my tent is leaking, and we're utterly worn out. Your glory, your nature, your attributes, your presence. These are luxuries I can't afford to think about right now. Not Moses. He's in the middle of arguing people. No water. Struggling for food. Struggling for survival. And in the middle of that scenario, this is his prayer. I want to see you, Jesus. Show me your glory. know where your story is it's not in a book your story is hidden in the person of Jesus Christ himself the Bible says that before the foundations of the world were framed he knew you the New Testament says that you are hidden in Christ and the reason you have not been able to find connection with anything outside of him is because you aren't outside of him you are in him and that identity And stepping into that place and taking the posture and the behavior of Moses to search for God's glory in the middle of your wilderness is what opens your eyes to see the story of God he's writing through your life. Stand up on your feet.